Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Toby Roderick. I am one of the deacons here. Um, and the elders have made it possible for um, those of us that don't normally um, preach on a regular basis to, um, they give us opportunities to be in front of you. Um, and we generally get a little bit more uh, time to go through our, um, work out our, our, our service than Colby generally does. Colby's week to week. We are, we know uh, sometimes six, eight weeks in advance of what we're going to have and what we get to go over. Um, that being said, I've been go- working on this for two, three weeks. Um, and this morning, there has been a confirmation, for lack of better terms, um, from Joel, um, from Melissa, from others that um, what God laid on my heart is truly what God laid on my heart. Now, I get the pleasure of taking us on a short reprieve from Mark. So next week we'll be back. Um, but the subject that I'm going to go over is something that is vital to the health and vitality of any local church, of any ministry, of anyone's individual life. It's been said to me that if you're a Christian and all you do is on Sunday morning sit in one of these chairs, you're missing out at the very least. Or at the very best, you're missing out. At the very least, you're disobeying God. If you'll pray with me this morning. God, I thank you for this opportunity to bring your word. Lord, I uh, ask that uh, less of me would be seen and more of you would be heard. Lord, I pray for all the distractions from our lives, that, Lord, that they would be put aside and that we would just have narrow, focused minds and open hearts. God, I just thank you for this changing of seasons, Lord, this time where we can see the green grass and we can see the trees blooming. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. So now when I graduated high school, that was um, several years ago, the only thing we had to do was pass our classes and not do something dumb leading right up to the graduation date. But now, and for the last few years, um, I've watched my, my sons go through graduation, um, others, um, as I sat on the school board, go through graduation. One of the things that they have to do is they have to log a certain amount of uh, service hours. They have to give back to their communities. They have to show that they're going to be more than just students. So even the secular world recognizes that service is important for life. Life that... uh, without 
without service is, is, is lacking. The Greek word for deacon or for service is diakonos. And it's found 29 times in the New Testament, and most of the time it is translated as servant. If you could turn with me to Romans 16.1. Not all servants are recognized and set apart as deacon, as elder, as worship leader, um, as preacher. Some are just normal, everyday people who are set aside for service. Romans 16.1 I command you to our sister I commend you to our sister Phoebe a servant of the church of Centria that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you for she has been a patron of many and myself as well. This word servant here is the same root root as deacon. Diakonos. While it's not the office of deacon, it is the heart of deacon. It's the heart that wants to serve and further the kingdom of God. Now, as we read earlier in Acts 16.1, I have my post-it notes, so it's easier for me. <laughs> um, Luke writes, Now in these days, the disciples were increasing in number. The disciples, those are just new Christians. And a complaint by the Hellenists rose against those Hebrews because they, their widows were being neglected. This is a time where the church is growing exponentially, but yet things are falling through the cracks. Service items are falling through the cracks. Um, and like it or not, this is not the first generation that was too busy to do things. This is not the first generation that loses things or forgets about things. This has been going on for 2,000 more years. But the widows were being neglected in their daily distribution. This word here, diakone, is the verb of deacon. And what it's saying is, is that we're losing, that these people were missing out on being ministered to. And so the 12 apostles that summoned all the new Christians brought them together and said, we can't do it all. Our job, our focus is praying for you, is ministering the word to you. And if we neglect that, the rest of this doesn't matter. So they said, raise up seven. Find men of good, of good rapport. And so the church, the Christians, 
took these seven men and said, you are appointed as this office of deacon. And your job is to take care of those physical things that we cannot as we're dealing with the spiritual and emotional needs of the church. Now, that word diokine, that is the root word of deacon. That's the verb of deacon. Now, if we switch over to 1 Timothy 3, we get the qualifications for these that would be called deacon, this office of deacon. Now, that's not to say that like in Phoebe's case, that there shouldn't be more people doing deaconing, doing service. So there's qualifications for deacon. Verse 8, deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, but they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons, verb. If they prove themselves blameless, their lives likewise also must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons, verb, gain a good standing for themselves. Now, we have many examples in the Bible of those that served well. I'll tell you a story. um, And I hadn't planned on telling this um, until this morning when... uh, my Facebook notification went off because I, like most men in this room, couldn't remember a birthday other than mine, my wife's, and mostly my kids, um, more than about a week or two. But as I've said from up here before, um, when we had our men's um, panel, um, the most influential The most influential man in my life was my grandfather. And today's his birthday. Um, and I, if it wouldn't have been for Facebook, I wouldn't have known that it was today. I would have known it was this month, but not today. Um, but he lived his life full of service. He served his church well. He served his family well. And now, towards the end of his life, at this time where his service is limited to praying for his family, his church, he stands among the giants of men that I am so grateful to be able to be on their shoulders. He stood for this idea that when I go to church, I'm not just going to church to sit in a pew. 
Now, he was from a different generation. He wore a suit and tie every Sunday morning to church. Every Sunday morning before church, he met with four men at the local Denny's, and they prayed every Sunday morning for the service, for the pastor, and for the people of the church. To know that there is still that idea that we pray for. There was a time where we lived with my grandparents and I didn't understand why he would get up early on Sunday morning and be gone and then he would come back home right before it was time for everyone to go to church. It wasn't until just recently that I learned that that's what he did every Sunday morning. Every Saturday morning, he went golfing with the... uh, um, with the same group of men. And I, don't, I have to guess that Sunday morning was some confessional for what happened on the golf course. <laughs> I never once heard him once speak ill of the man holding the pulpit in our church. I never once heard him speak ill of any other man or woman that served in our church. Now, those that weren't serving, those that weren't doing what it is that God has ordained for us to do, he was firm in calling them out. Never once would he make them feel bad for not doing it, but he would come alongside them and he would use that influence of his life to get other people to serve and to share. He would go pick people up and help them. Um, Now, my grandfather never once used the word deaconing as an action word. And I'm not sure many people in here would either, but it's definitely a word that I would use. And the way that I would use it, see, I'd go over and I'd pick up Matt Lee from his house. And then maybe we'd drive over to Tyler's house and we'd say, get in, Tyler, we're going deaconing. And we'd just go do something for somebody. That's the idea, this idea of service to our church, to our leadership, to our fellow man. The world sees it as important. God sees it as vital to making this thing called church work. And as we see this, this role of deacon, this servant, it's just fulfilling physical needs to allow for others to fulfill our spiritual needs. Now, God's the one that fills all of our needs, both physical and spiritual, as we agree. But he uses each of our hands. He uses our feet. He uses our minds, our hearts, and our prayers. You know, when we look at the example that Christ was, well, let me back up just a moment. I posed a question, again, on my Facebook page a few weeks ago, um, and then openly to quite a few here in this church and outside of any church, really. If you have 24 hours left to live and you know that those are your last 24 hours on this earth, 
what are you going to do? And I got a lot of the, oh, I'm going to spend it with the people I love, the people that I like. I'm going to be around them. A lot of the, what I'll call unchurched people, got a lot of, well, I'd be outside. I wouldn't want to be inside a building anywhere. I'd want to be outside. And then as I was uh, talking with some friends, one young lady said to me, she said, well, I would find a cute cowboy and I would uh, spend my last day with him. She said this in front of her father, so please pray for that father. Another two young men said, I'd rob a bank. Now, Lucas, because you're the fuzz now, we're not going to tell you who that was that said that. So, uh. But we have this, this, this idea that um, we want to do something. Now, the second best answer I got was from a man after my own heart. He said, I'd take those first 12 hours and I would smoke the most perfect brisket. And then I'd take those next 12 hours and I'd spend it sharing this meal with my family, my friends, anyone that wanted to come. But my favorite answer came came from my wife. And this will be our 23rd anniversary coming up in June. Um, And I can't imagine living, serving without her. But what she said was, if I found out that I had 24 hours, and only 24 hours, She said, well, I'd get on a plane and I'd fly back down to Guatemala. You see, for her to spend her last time, she wants to spend it with the people who showed her the most free love of God she's ever seen. They were accepting. They, through our stumblings of communication with them, they shared this love and this service for God that we as Americans don't often get to see. And I think, you know, that's exactly where I'd want to be. Serving God with people who don't put any conditions on their service. There's no, you have to dress this way. You have to eat this food or drive this car or live in this house. It was just simply love and service of Christ. But even with all these examples that we have, 
all of this good that we have, we have one perfect example of a service-filled life. And we find that in Christ. Christ had a servant-filled life for now. Yes, he was 100% God. He was also 100% man. Which means that internally he had a knowing. He had an understanding of what it was that was going to come. So let's turn to John 13, 1, if you would, please. And this is kind of a long passage, but I'm going to go ahead and read it anyways. Um, no, it's not just to take up time, so we're not out early. Um, but last week we had our um, our family meeting, and we welcomed uh, um, the Lazeries into our. I was hoping they'd be here this morning, but we welcomed them into our um, to our family, and to and we did so with the washing of feet. Now, Colby washed Dave's feet. I'm imagining Dave's feet were significantly cleaner than uh, the 12 disciples' feet were. But here we go. I'm going to go ahead and read this. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He knew when his last day was. He knew when his final time was going to be. And he knew how he was going to go out. During supper, sharing a meal, that's my favorite. Breaking bread with somebody, sitting across the table from somebody. There's just something about hearing other people chew and knowing that they're hearing you chew and judging you on how loud you are, how loud you gulp how you have a little bit of barbecue sauce dribbling down your chin or spaghetti sauce on your shirt. I'm sorry, it's just me that gets spaghetti sauce on their shirt. Um, But during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered to him, what I am doing, you do not understand but afterwards you'll understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Peter didn't want to be served by God Almighty as a lowly servant. He wanted Christ to stand tall and be out front. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not, I'm sorry, you do not wash, you do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. 
And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then not only my feet, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, to those who have bathed, does not need to be washed except for his feet. But he is completely clean. And you are clean. But not every one of you. For he knew who it was that was about to betray him. And he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put his outer garments, he resumed his place at the table. He said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am so. If then your Lord, your teacher, is willing to wash your feet to serve you, then you ought to wash one another's feet, serve each other. For I have given you this example that you should do. Do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you knowing these things, bless, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking to all of you, but I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you that now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one who receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Jesus washed Judas' feet. Jesus shared a meal with Judas the night before he betrayed him. Jesus embraced him. So Jesus caps off this life of service with the ultimate act of service. He didn't just wash the feet of the twelve. He gave an example of how to care for other people. And not just the people that you love. Not just the people that love you. But even the one that's about to betray him. You see, our service to others isn't about how much we love them or how much they love us. It is about our heart and obedience to God. In our life, we're going to have people who are going to play the part of Judas. And just like Judas, they may be a part of the ministry. They may be sitting in this room. But Christ gave the example of how to serve that person. You see, the last day of Christ here on earth, he served all of mankind by taking all of our sins to the cross. We too should be obedient. 
And if you're living a life of service without a personal relationship with Christ, good for you here on earth, I guess. Because, you know, even the world does good things. But without that personal relationship with Christ, none of us can do those good things to those who are going to betray us. None of us can serve those who we know are going to let us down. Now, in a room this size, I have to assume that there's at least one person who doesn't know Christ in that personal, loving, longing way. And I would ask, I would beg of you, please, reach out to one of the elders. Reach out to one of the deacons. Reach out to anybody that was on stage today because we would all tell you the same thing. Welcome. And here's how you get here. So please, as you go about your day today and you think about the service that you've done, the service that you're going to do, and the service that God has laid before you, is it for you or is it for God? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity that we can come to serve, to protect this thing of life. Lord, I thank you that you are all-knowing and that in spite of each of our tainted hearts, you still loved us and served us. And God, for anyone that doesn't know you, I beg of you to pull on their heartstrings today. Lord, let them not get another minute without knowing what they would do in their last 24 hours. In your name, Lord Jesus. All right, we're going to May you go out and serve the way Christ served us. And don't tell Colby that I let you out early. <laughs> <laughs>